Um, just just before we start, uh, reminding everyone that you know um, June six at noon uh, Eastern or nine a.m. Pacific time. That's six days from now is when the boundaries uh, begins, and uh, we can start uh, our class with the first question that was from Austin actually almost a week ago. Uh, and the question, Publius, is right now the way that convert works uh, is that you lose seeds if you go from LP to beans. And also there's uh, a chance for you to lose uh, a BDV if, if the BDV of the LP is you know, below uh, uh, the deposit amount. Uh, can you, can you sh shed some you know, um, 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 understanding on why, why is it designed this way and is there a possibility for it to be changed in the future? Definitely. So the, the question on seeds is a little bit easier to answer. Uh, if Beanstalk allowed you to keep your seeds when you convert deposited LP to deposited beans, uh, the question then becomes, well, how do you handle things uh, when you convert back to deposited LP again? Do you get more seeds? So to some extent, the nature of the stock system is that there's a maximum seed per BDV, and that creates a linear growth in stock, which is essential to the long-term distribution of stock over time. And so the, the concept of letting people farm infinite seeds is pretty unattractive. Uh, however, the concept of when we talk about your stock, so your stock is a function of your grown stock and the stock from your BDV. And when convert was originally introduced, uh, there's two directions for convert. You can convert your deposited beans into deposited LP tokens, in which case there's no change in BDV uh, at all. And so this isn't a problem. But in the case where you convert deposited LP tokens to deposited beans, the BDV is unlikely to be the same as the BDV under your deposit. And so the question is, and that's because the impermanent loss under the LP token uh, denominated in beans in that time. And so the question is, how should the system treat this uh, change in BDV? And when convert was originally introduced, the thought was to be, conservative in the reward for converting, whereby if there was impermanent loss in bean-denominated value, uh, there, the thought was to have a haircut in your stock uh, on your BDV reflect that. Uh, and that, that in practice did introduce some friction on the converts. Uh, when Beanstalk was back up and running, uh, there were some people in the Discord that highlighted that they were losing stock when they were converting LP to beans. And so that's a friction point. And when you consider at the protocol level, Beanstalk wants to incentivize an efficient conversion, uh, it does make sense to uh, rem or change, I would say, the policy that the protocol implements when you convert LP to beans, whereby the there shouldn't be a loss in stock if there is a decrease in the bean-denominated value. And so it's a less extreme uh, incentive than allowing people to compound their seeds, if you will, but then that is a much fr more frictionless experience 
when it comes to converting in both directions. And so that, in theory, should uh, encourage tighter peg maintenance on both sides of the peg, in this case, particularly uh, on the downside. So this is uh, a pretty simple change to implement uh, and would be among the uh, parameters that we would probably encourage uh, being implemented upon restart. Uh, and so there's no reason why not to implement this you know, sooner rather than later. And so uh, the concept is, yeah, this, this is a no-brainer to change sooner rather than later. Okay. Uh, and just to help me uh, make sure that I understood this, uh, how are you going to stop the, uh, the potential of accumulating stock? Uh, sorry, seeds, if you keep doing that, so you go, keep going back and forth. So there's no extra seeds. You still forfeit your seeds when you go from deposited LP to deposited beans. So you'll be accruing less grown stock per season. Uh, but you'll, the, the change that we're suggesting right, right. Is, is purely with regards to the, not even the grown stock, just the stock for your BDV, which is one-to-one. And so the question now here is, how do you handle the change in BDV? Got it. And I'm guessing the reason we can't do that, where we basically stop someone from going back and forth, is otherwise there has because otherwise all seeds are fungible, and you'll have to differentiate between them to know which ones you know went one side and, and coming back. Well, there's 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 a couple different reasons why not to do it, but. Uh, you know the the main reason is to minimize the the accumulation of excess seeds per BDV. When you think about the structure of the stock system, there's a maximum st- seeds per BDV. So there's a maximum grown stock per BDV, and you don't want to compromise that maximum by allowing people to farm their stock, uh, farm their seeds. Excuse me. If you farm your stock, that doesn't compromise the seed per BDV uh, ratio or the grown, se- grown stock per season per BDV ratio. Got it. Okay, and awesome. then follows up. Um, what what this advantage be then if we just give four seeds to everyone? You know, LP deposits, bean deposits, everyone gets four. So that's an interesting question. Now... In reality, holding beans and holding LP tokens uh, have a different risk return. Well, have a different risk profile first off, and from Beanstalk's perspective, have different benefits to the protocol. So Beanstalk would much prefer for people to hold deposited LP tokens. Now, I think where Austin's quest and the reason is because it wants there to be high levels of liquidity. Now, where Austin's question seems to be coming from is the friction around people forfeiting their seeds when they convert deposited LP to deposited beans. That's okay in the sense that Beanstalk doesn't necessarily want everyone to convert at 99.999 cents. Instead, the, the goal is for there to be some range over which people want to convert. And so having some friction where there is a, a, a cost-benefit analysis that needs to be made on uh, whether or not it's worth converting uh, and forfeiting the seeds uh, relative to 
the benefit from the extra beans that you get or the stock that you get from buying beans below peg. That's a, that's a friction point that at the moment uh, I think beanstalk is comfortable with. Uh, as the model continues to play out, that may present itself as a sore spot, but at the moment uh, it doesn't appear to be one and therefore you know, hard, to, hard to speculate as to... You know, you don't want to change things before they present themselves as issues per se, but that is, at the margin, you could make an argument that you want to minimize the cost uh, as much as possible while still having some marginal benefits. You could do three seeds and four seeds. You could do three and a half seeds and four seeds. How does this relate to the beanstalk gauge system? Uh, it's all unclear. So these are very good questions, and I think this, the, yeah, un un unclear on whether or not it makes sense to change the seed per bean deposit ratio. Uh, but at the moment would think that, uh, think that's not necessary or advantageous to the system. Uh, but, but perhaps we'll see how this plays out, uh, you know, over the next couple months and, and, and that may change. Yeah. And I guess, especially with the guest system, I guess these questions are going to be more discussed, um, as, once we switch. Harrismith asks, 20% uh, indication of interest and 10% on the wallet, has any of that changed? Uh, the short answer is, I think those are generally the same place we're at. I think the, the actual interest is probably, probably a little higher than that, uh, such that I think we will get to, I think we'll probably get to 20% prior to the restart. That may be like actually in day one, that may be a little ambitious. It's like, a, a you know, but when the thing restarts, we'll be at basically 20%. But I think we'll be close to that. And, you know, if that's the case, we'll be quite excited. In terms of money in the wallets or in bank accounts, I think we're still at 10-ish percent, maybe a little bit more. Uh, it, you know, Memorial Day weekend, not too much has happened. All right. Um, Neurovirus asks, asks two questions we're going to uh, the first one is what do you think about the permanent deposit uh, uh, idea the sinks idea and then the second one is do you think an idea like that uh, is to be implemented natively on beanstalk or on a protocol on top of beanstalk well the, the two questions go hand in hand ultimately there's nothing wrong with a protocol that locks in deposits However, at the beanstalk level, there's not, there's not, as far as I can tell, an obvious advantage to having locked deposits. Now, I mean, maybe when you think about the, the liquidity that would want to leave the system in a wind down, like a true, uh, like a, a collapse, that if you have locked deposits, that sort of minimizes the overhang above the system. But it's like a, what does that even mean? It's a marginal benefit. And at the end of the day, that doesn't substantively change the economics of the protocol at all. Then the question becomes, well, why would anyone lock something in permanently? Beanstalk would have to pay them to do that. And so given that, again, as far as I can tell, or we can tell, uh, there's no there's no benefit to Beanstalk to having people permanently lock their deposits or obvious benefit. It's hard to justify Beanstalk paying a premium for people to lock their deposits. 
Now, there's lots of different protocols that we hope will exist on top of Beanstalk. We assume many of which will have uh, treasuries that are permanent to some extent, and therefore uh, they may never withdraw from the silo, or they may commit to never withdrawing from the silo. Uh, but but it doesn't make sense to to implement that directly at the Beanstalk level, uh, as far as we can tell. Yeah. During the discussion, uh, Publius, and um, I, I had a few comments on it, and I, I described uh, an idea of having a permanent deposit to defend PEG uh, akin or similar to collateral. Uh, it will behave the same way a collateral uh, behaves, and, and Sink's uh, reply was that, that that was a mischaracterization. I, I, I wanted to hear your, your opinion on that or, or your thoughts on that. If we have a permanent deposit that's locked in the protocol and is there to defend PEG, does this not behave the same way collateral would? Well, it's actually worse than collateral because you have this reserve now of locked deposits that are either going to be beans or LP tokens, and they'll be distributed. This this reserve will be distributed as some percentage of deposited beans and deposited LP tokens. When the price is too high, it'll convert, and the ratio will increase to more deposited LP tokens. And when the price is too low, the ratio will increase to deposited beans. The problem is, how do you, when, do you, when do you do that? When do you implement that? And so you would need some random, uh, certainly pseudo-random at a minimum, but hopefully more random than that, uh, truly such that the protocol can't be easily front-run on, on the converts in either direction. And that's really the, the problem that we see there. Now, Beanstalk from a first principles perspective, has been designed to minimize the ease at which people can be front run because the protocol doesn't take any open, make any open market operations itself uh, other than selling beans on the open market during a season of plenty. And it's comfortable doing that because it wants people to front run it, meaning it will only sell beans on the open market if no one whatsoever is willing to sell beans. Uh, and the fact that it is going to sell beans means that you'd expect people to front run it and sell. And so the fact that it is selling beans means there's no sell pressure whatsoever. But other than that, Beanstalk takes no market action in any case. And the, the concept of having permanent deposits that are now t making open market operations to, to keep the peg at the protocol level, that's highly, highly unattractive. At, at, at the level on top of Beanstalk where you have uh, independent uh, DAOs or market participants all competing to do that against one another, that's very attractive and aligned with uh, a competitive marketplace that would create a strong but randomly maintained peg based on supply and demand that is a little bit harder to game than, than per se if it was all done at, a, at the protocol level. So we would be... we. You know, it's not to say that you can't do it, but to do it in a way that isn't easily gameable is very difficult. So just to add on a few things there, you know, number one, talking about the gameability of convert, you know, with kind of withdrawable deposits, there's no guarantee that the convert will even happen. You know, everyone who has deposited LP could withdraw at any time in sell. If we move into a world of permanent deposits, that's no longer the case. If we have permanently deposited liquidity, there's nothing it can do but convert. And therefore, it's like, you know, 
everyone can operate with the assumption that all permanent LP will eventually convert. And yeah, we can try to make it random kind of at what point that convert happens, but the point is it's still guaranteed to convert. And, you know, it's kind of hard to kind of think about whether that's gameable or not. And if that kind of, you know, goes along with the assumptions that we've made with the current convert structure. Um, in addition to that, you know, having a permanently deposited bean doesn't necessarily help anyone, right? It's like, if we have a permanently deposited bean, why does that even exist? Like we might as well just burn it. Like what's the point of creating supply just to lock that supply forever? Um, and then kind of the third thing is, you know, we already have this stock and seed system to incentivize people to deposit things for longer. And it's already intended to work such that the longer you leave something deposited, the more it costs to withdraw. So when we talk about whether we should add a permanent deposit system or not, you know, obviously the question is, the first question is, okay, what's the additional incentive to lock up a deposit forever? And the question is, you know, given we already have this stock and seed system with increasing opportunity costs of withdrawing, is the system willing to sacrifice any additional rewards at all in order to get someone to permanently lock their deposit forever if they're already kind of going to be incentivized to never withdraw in the long run? Um, so just a couple of additional thoughts there. Completely agree with the with the stock system that the stock system is designed to do the same or achieve the same objective as what the permanent deposit is, you know, trying to do. Um, I guess lastly as well is the scalability of it. Uh, if we come to agree that a certain percent of uh, uh, permanent deposits is, you know, the equilibrium point or Beanstalk is happy with it, then how does Beanstalk scale uh, scale with it? And if it doesn't scale with it, then, you know, that's an additional change that, you know, you'll want to keep looking at and try to find out some meaning of it, uh, uh, of what that means. All right, uh, a question from Austin about the root token. What, what, what will the root token fit in in the root ecosystem? What does it mean to hold uh, that token, I guess? Uh, I have no idea. I uh, have spoken with uh, Manifold and the root team a little bit about this. Uh, at this point in time, it's unclear exactly how the root token will function. You know, the, the thing that we're pushing for and anyone that wants to build on top of Beanstalk and wants our help, the thing that we'll push for in general is for there to be rent-free protocols built on top of Beanstalk. And so the question is, the concept of having a Uniswap token that the value is through governance and, uh, in theory, like some future fee you could impose on the system is kind of ridiculous. Uh, you could make an argument that there's iterations of that that are better, but at the end of the day, those tokens are all really worthless. And so the question is, how do you build a token to support or, or create or facilitate a, a decentralized frictionless protocol built on top of Beanstalk? Uh, I don't necessarily have a good answer for it uh, at the moment, but uh, know that the root token, uh, or the root team, I should say, uh, they're all working pretty hard on that at the moment. And uh, we'll be very excited to see what they all come up with. So uh, I think it's still a little bit early on the token side. Uh, as far as I understand it, they're still implementing the rate swap uh, stuff in Solidity. And then from there, we'll uh, focus on the token token economics. All right. Uh, a question from Terboy asking, uh, any substant substantive updates uh, from from the audits? 
uh, any findings and like you know changes in, in in the timeline i guess from from the audits uh not to my knowledge uh Publius, you want to comment yeah um you know the halborn audits underway um you know nothing too substantive so far that they found you know they're chugging along well um, you know, Trail of Bits obviously starts uh, a week from yesterday. So looking forward to that, you know, uh, we'll, you know, we'll pretty much, you know, we'll be able to wrap up the rest of the code changes by then. And, you know, hopefully we can, you know, tie up the code in a nice box, give it to them and get it back, you know, as soon as possible. Um, it's just, you know, hard to, you know, there's a lot of new code and a lot of very complicated code being added alongside the new proposal, um, you know, so fingers crossed that doesn't cause any hiccups in sort of in terms of timelines and such but you know the the goal is to be able to get this protocol up running safely uh you know not swiftly thank you for that uh, a question from Breen. uh i guess follow up uh, to the permanent deposit uh, idea but maybe it's a general one is asking would something like this be built uh, you know added as a facet to reduce gas cost or should be kept separate. I think this question is applicable to anything built on, on Beanstalk. I think it's likely to be a separate, separate protocol uh, instead of a facet of Beanstalk. All right, a question um, about uh, the root trees. Um, uh, and the question is, you know, uh, who are the investors uh, and is this happening or not? I believe uh, the right person to answer this would be Mr. Manifold. So, you know, reach out to him and ask uh, and ask that question, Terrible. The Guilfoyle asks, what are the key benefits of investing in fertilizer now versus the silo when Beanstalk resumes? Well, the apples to apples analysis is difficult to do before you know how much of the stock and seeds have vested. Uh, and so the, it's, a, it's a little bit hard to model. Now, if you have no participation in the barn race whatsoever, close to zero, which again, we don't think is, is likely at this point, but if you have you know, sing, low single-digit percentage participation, that is likely to, you know, that's likely to, to basically make the silo very attractive because there won't be a lot of stock and seeds at the moment. So each dollar of capital you add to the silo will get a significant amount of future bean mints. So how that relates to the return on fertilizer is based on a lot of different factors, uh, including what the, the humidity is, including the amount of fertilizer that's sold out, including the, the percentage of the fertilizer that's been paid out, including the amount of stock that's been issued uh, from vesting and from people adding to the silo. There's infinite variables, but the concept is you'd expect in an efficient market for the return in the silo and fertilizer to trend towards a similar rate of return. Now, whether or not the beanstalk market is sufficiently efficient for that to happen, you know, I think that we might be a little early for that. But in theory, because of their nature, you'd expect them to be somewhat similar. Now, because the silo does have liquidity, you can withdraw, whereas fertilizer, 
once you once you purchase the fertilizer, you can't unpurchase it. You can only sell it on the open market. Uh, in theory, it is a it is a different, slightly different liquidity profile. So there may be some difference in the return reflected in the market because of that. Uh, but otherwise, you'd expect them to to trend towards to to be somewhat similar. Now, I think what's more likely to happen than not is unless the barn race fills very early on, the silo will become uh, more attractive than fertilizer for a period of time until the existing fertilizer has been largely paid back. And then at that point, the fertilizer will become very attractive because you can receive a, a low return, but a high percentage of future bean mints. So you'll get a high return, very a low return very quickly, uh, which on an annualized basis would be still very attractive. So the, the thought would be that the silo would, would be more attractive than fertilizer in most cases. And that's, that's by design in part. The goal would not be to have fertilizer crowd out the attractiveness of the silo. So to, to summarize this, would you say, it dep- if let's say equal amount of money, uh, not, uh, look, having the ability to withdraw is not like, you know, of concern, it would basically be the percentage of your, uh, uh, your ownership uh, um, uh, in the silo versus the percent of fertilizer that you have versus outstanding fertilizer to be paid. Uh, is, is that right? Generally, yes. Okay. Um, Question from Neurovirus uh, asking if do you guys have any ideas on protocols to be built on top of Beanstalk? And you know he's happy uh, to build. Uh, I'm wondering if the, if the team uh, is up for that. I, I guess Neurovirus can help ben- build Beanstalk itself. So reach out to the team, and you know we'll, we'll be happy uh, with, with your help on, on the protocol itself, and then on any ideas that comes uh, to be built on top of it as well. Well, we would and also Publius- just add though. It depends what your skill set is. Uh, one of the cool things about a positive carry stablecoin is that what what it facilitates is potentially infinite. So the concept is it depends what what your what your background and expertise and interest is, and then that would be the starting point for a discussion on what to build. But think that there's a wide variety of different things in terms of early days. You know, something like Root, where it's a rate swap, that is a basic derivative on top of Beanstalk that will facilitate more adoption of Beanstalk because people need fixed yields to facilitate other stuff. Uh, That's a very clear, obvious first use protocol to build on top of Beanstalk. There's lots of other derivatives and financial products that also make sense to build on top of Beanstalk in a decentralized fashion. But beyond that, the goal would be to to start to build an entire economy uh, of products uh, on top of a positive carry stablecoin. So, what 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 does that consist of? There's there's a, I mean, there's infinite things that need to be filled in in terms of on ramps, wallets, uh, credit cards, debit cards. Uh, there's infinite parts of the beanstalk economy that can hopefully get built. So, uh, we would highly encourage you if if you're serious about that to to reach out. Maybe we should hop on a call and just uh, shoot some shit and uh, brainstorm. And that applies to anyone else. Uh, that also wants to build on top of Beanstalk. We love it. And I guess you can also add um, a positive carry uh, uh, currency or even just a decentralized uh, uh, um, currency as well. Okay, I see a few 
Typing Sync, Sync asks, the custom guarding of Beanstalk NFT by the, by, by the idols team, will that be rewarded to an early participant in the barn raise? Or, you know, any idea what, what uh, qualifies that? I have no idea on that one, Sync. Yeah. Undecided Sync. We, the team hasn't come um, um, to a conclusion on how to use that NFT, but, you know, welcome to ideas as well on how we think is best uh, to make use of it. Okay, this is the end uh, of the questions. Maybe we can give it a minute. See if we got more. See dumpling typing. Seems like a long question. So, dumping is following up on the um, what can be built on top of Beanstalk. You know, what, what ideas? Uh, can you elaborate a bit on, you know, you've mentioned a few things uh, like financial derivatives, maybe Publius. Can you elaborate a bit on what could be built on top of Beanstalk? So, the first things that come to mind that are kind of basic are things to improve the user experience around Beanstalk. So the variable or uh, constantly changing rate of being in the silo, that's a potentially a user experience issue which Root solves. Uh, another user experience issue is the need to constantly farm your, your grown assets. Uh, that is another functionality that can be built on top of Beanstalk to be automated in some fashion. Now there's complexity associated with that. And to some extent, root, a protocol like Root may, may offer those functionalities because it, it facilitates uh, more participation in the Root protocol. But in general, uh, some sort of auto-farming feature, when you think about what are the other UX issues with Beanstalk right now, uh, when you have the soil wars, uh, there's smaller farmers find it un uh, impossible to participate in lending to the protocol. You could, in theory, have uh, you could, in theory, have a protocol that facilitates people to load up a uh, load up a bot uh, with soil and then group group things together and collectively try to buy soil. Uh, there's and those are just like very basic things to improve user experience. Then when it comes to, I mean, one of the things that we're trying to work on to facilitate cool stuff is like an, a silo interface. So one of the most difficult things about Beanstalk is that uh, deposits are non-fungible uh, and totally don't follow any sort of standard. And therefore, facilitating the easy interaction between protocols like Root and Beanstalk uh, 
can be can the friction around that can be significantly lessened if there's a, a silo interface being to implement it. So uh, I know uh, Publis has been working with the root team on that interface because uh, root would hopefully be the proof of concept of something like that. Uh, you know the the concept of a a pooled convert. I'll, I see Bernoulli Bean shouting that out. Uh, a la what we were just talking about. It's not a permanent deposit or something like that or a reserve, but a protocol built on top of Beanstalk to just convert. I, the only issue with that is, again, doing that in an autonomous fashion. There you do need some sort of like re- <laughs> management. Uh, so that wouldn't necessarily be autonomous, but that's another thing. Uh, there's, I mean, one of the difficult things is timing. So Ethereum is at the very beginning of its scaling journey, if you will. And at the moment, uh, it's a little bit more difficult to implement certain, certain protocols on Ethereum itself, uh, particularly order book-based protocols. And so when you think about all the derivatives that you want to be supported within the silo such that people can basically buy and sell calls and puts on silo yield, for example. Uh, that, that may be a little bit further into the future because of the desire for order books to facilitate that stuff. But, I mean, the... the there's so many different things that you can build on top of Beanstalk. Uh, you know, we've talked about a zero-fee DEX uh, because of Beanstalk's ability to attract liquidity. Uh, a, I mean, there's, there's so many fucking cool things you can build. So uh, just, if, if anything, the, the really big ones, you know, you don't even want to... Like, like, like Mirror Protocol, <laughs> that's been been in the news over the past 24 hours uh all sorts of cool stuff you can build on top of beanstalk uh you wouldn't want to implement mirror until it's back to being fully decentralized but uh in the future everything is possible i'd like to follow up with the mirror uh comment there and i guess this is this is a different question um, do you see a world where Beanstalk issues different? Uh, um, like right now we have Bean, you know, pegged to the USD, so we'll have other assets pegged to other things. Would that utilize the same uh, um, field or pod line or would, would those be different since, you know, each asset has its own creditors, I guess? So the assets would be, I mean, there's different ways you can do it. If there's a different pod line, then it's really a different Beanstalk. So... At the end of the day, you'd expect there to be one pod line, but multiple assets that you can lend to Beanstalk. And then the soil would be priced in one of the assets per se, and then there'd be a ratio uh, based on the asset that you, you lend to Beanstalk. But in theory, the, when you have Beanstalk issuing other assets, there are some technical friction points from an economics perspective haven't really worked through. So... Well, I'm sure it's it is possible to implement. Uh, haven't haven't necessarily gotten to the end of that one there. Um, so <laughs> that one that'll be a, a a problem to work on in a couple months, hopefully. Yeah. All right. A question from Austin. 
Um, and he's following up on a thread um, that I think was by Mooj or Moog. Uh, I'm not quite familiar with it, so let me read, let me read the question from Austin. Um, and he's asking, what does Beanstalk look at scale? You know, in a situation where there is minimal demand for beans, uh, so we've plateaued, basically, uh, and we've, we've approached, you know, the total addressable market. Uh, uh, what happens then? Is it difficult to reason about what happens in that type of situation in theory? And in many ways, you know, we can only learn in practice by doing it. Well, there's a lot of different questions that were asked in the that thread. Uh, frankly, it's hard to address all of them because it's a little bit all over the place. We tried to do some of it in writing within the thread itself. Uh, but to answer Austin's question on a steady state, where Beanstalk is at scale, there's no expectation of future growth from Beanstalk growing to fill its market. And it's now the, the main stablecoin issuer uh, or, or uh, money issuer, perhaps, in the world. That's really what scale would look like, where beans uh, with some, some denomination are the main, the main currency used in the world. That would be what scale looks like. And the, the question is, in a situation where there's minimal demand for beans, I think it's probably better worded as minimal growth in demand for beans expected uh such that uh the 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 reasonableness of lending to beanstalk may come into question well that is there's a couple things to be said there one the the protocol has at any given time a current supply and a an outstanding amount of pods and whereas at the moment there's a third, a third, a third distribution to stockholders, potholders, and fertilizer holders, normally it's 50-50. But regardless, at any time that you're lending to Beanstalk, you can calculate the, the bean supply at which your pods will harvest. And in reality, though, this, and so it's presented as you can always uh, assuming that Beanstalk grows to that size, uh, you can always, uh, you know what your return is. You're locking in your return. And then the question is, well, will the Beanstalk, will the bean supply grow to that size? Now the question is, you're at a steady state where the bean supply is not expected to grow. What does lending to Beanstalk look like? So the, the starting point is what is the, the pod rate? So if Beanstalk has a pod rate that is high, whatever that means, Beanstalk defines uh, the excessively high pod rate as uh, 35%. So let's say the pod rate is high. Uh, there may be no, nobody that's willing to lend to Beanstalk because at a 50-50 split, uh, in order to get paid back, there's too much growth factored in. And this is one of the reasons why Beanstalk optimizes around the pod rate in addition to the price. So instead, however, if we, if we assume Beanstalk is at an optimal pod rate, call it 15%, uh, which is what is currently defined as the optimal pod rate, then the question is, well, the, the bean supply needs to grow 30% in order for your pods to get paid back. Uh, 
or, and this is where, where things, it, it is a little bit of a technicality, but when we're talking about the steady state, how things, how things work, so this is a detail we haven't typically gotten into, the calculus on what bean supply you'll get paid back at is actually a maximum. So it's what is the maximum bean supply at which you will get paid back at. Uh, but it could be less than that because beans are constantly being lent to beanstalk. And so there's actually a, a, de a constant decrease in supply and then an increase in supply. If you're in the steady state, uh, in theory, the bean supply is remaining constant, but the pod line should actually be churning. And so then the question is just, how quickly would I expect 30% uh, of the bean supply to be churned through entirely? Now, the nature of bean mints, and I'm thinking out loud here, where only half of bean mints go to paying off debt, uh, makes it such that it's unclear if you have oscillations above and below the peg, how the pod rate will grow, if that makes sense. So if you're at the steady state, the question is, how do you make sure that the pod rate doesn't grow? And this is where the communities had some great feedback on even under the current uh, soil parameters after BIP9, there's probably an additional efficiency that can be introduced such that the pod line doesn't just stay fixed in length, it actually decreases when the price is above a dollar. Uh, so that would uh, exacerbate the rate at which the pod line is being cycled through, if you will, uh, and minimize the percentage of the bean supply that needs to be cycled through in order to get paid back. But the concept is at a steady state, assuming that there's an economy uh, on top of Beanstalk where there's capital flowing in and out, you would actually expect over time for your loan to still be paid back by Beanstalk. And even if, and again, this is all pres presuming that there's no growth in bean demand, which is an assumption I'm not necessarily willing to grant, but it's, this is arguing uh, against a steel man argument where there is no bean growth. I think you could still, there is still a steady state where lending to the protocol is attractive. Uh, and the system can, can continue in perpetuity. Now, there's, there's a separate question as to how would Beanstalk, uh, respond when you have a significant decrease in demand for beans. But in reality, all that would be is an increase in the pod rate if you assume Beanstalk is functioning such that now you're, you have a decrease in demand and now you're in a steady state. The same dis questions we were just asking. Uh, before apply, but at a slightly higher pod rate. So there's the same question of sustainability. Obviously, if there's too much of a decrease in demand uh, such that the pod rate increases dramatically, at some point you may have an inability to attract lenders. But we would comment that the convert functionality is is in practice likely to greatly minimize the amount of debt the protocol actually needs to issue, even if you have a decrease in demand for beans. Now, the, the interesting thing to say, though, is when we say decrease in demand for beans, it's kind of funky because if someone's converting, they're actually buying the beans back. And so net-net, there isn't a decrease in demand for beans. Uh, whereas what we're saying colloquially, colloquially is people are selling their beans. So in the, con in the context that there are some silo members that continue to believe in the future growth of bean stock, they can uh, stack their beans and stock, which 
in theory is is negating the cell pressure in beans and reducing the amount of total decrease in demand. When you have actual decreases in demand, that's where you would expect it to be reflected in the increase in the pod rate. So substantively, again, it's very clear how this this gets out of hand and Beanstalk potentially is unable to attract lenders where you have too much of a decrease in supply, uh, excuse me, real demand uh, independent of convert such that the protocol needs to issue too much demand. And it goes from having a healthy debt level to a very unhealthy debt level and in doing so makes it unattractive to lend to the protocol at a steady state. Now, I do just want to make the argument, and this is now having having gone through the whole premise of there is no increase in demand for beans. And this does speak to Vitalik's point in his in his article that there is it's an it's an unreasonable assumption that a stability or, or any protocol is built on perpetual growth. And so to that point, it is very important that Beanstalk is able to function in perpetuity in a lot of cases uh, without increased demand for beans. Uh, I would make the argument, we would make the argument that if Beanstalk is is creating a stable asset, that apples to apples, there will be uh, increases in demand for that asset. Now, whether that's true or not remains to be seen. It's hopefully non-substantive as to whether Beanstalk can work. In reality, it probably is substantive as to whether Beanstalk can work. And so the question is, once you face, uh, once the protocol faces long-run decreases in demand, assuming the protocol is able to return the bean price to a stable level, uh, even if the pod rate has increased, will there be new demand to enter the system, uh, given that it has, the Beanstalk has demonstrated its stability? And uh, unclear. If anything, that's a behavioral question. So we're very, I mean, I just want to shout out Moog for, for raising their, their, their points. Uh, their tone uh, was perhaps not the most appropriate, uh, but it's funny. You click on their bio, they, they go to U Chicago, and it's like, yeah, exactly like all the other people we went to school with. So we're used to the tone. We don't mind it per se, but would appreciate everyone to, to perhaps engage with a little bit more uh, friendly discourse in mind as we're all trying our best here. But nonetheless, the skepticism is very healthy. And uh, we think it's fabulous that people are pointing out uh, any and all potential issues with being stuck. And, uh, you know, we invited them to class. They said they had a conflict, but hopefully they'll be here uh, next week and we can talk about this further. Publius, I wanted to touch a bit about the, the steady state uh, scenario that, that you've described. So we're talking that Beanstalk isn't growing anymore, um, and, and growth in general can come from two, uh, two ways, either uh, by you're capturing more market share or the market size itself is growing. Uh, and in your example, we, sa we said that Beanstalk now is like the number one issuer or you know, the major issuer, so you know, the, you're not taking market share uh, anymore, and now we're questioning if the market itself uh, is growing uh, or not. Is it reasonable to think that the market won't grow anymore? This is equal to saying that DeFi is not growing anymore or like, you know, the economy is not growing anymore. And while that might happen and it might stagnate, but it won't happen forever, right? So is it unreasonable to, to start from the very beginning and say that there's not going to be demand anymore? Well, that is kind of the substantive point, right? At scale, if Beanstalk continues to be able to maintain its issued stablecoins at their pegs, 
there's no it's hard to imagine that there won't be increased demand for stable assets when the rest of the market is collapsing right so in practice and this is where convert is so powerful if if you are risk off in this environment where the whole market is shrinking uh, the stable asset is going to be whatever beanstalk issues and so in practice the conservative play will be to convert your LP to beans when the prices are too low and the prices being too low will be in practice manifested by the decrease in value in these other assets right so if you have a general sell off in the market de facto beans will be below peg and people will need to convert their beans or convert their LP tokens to beans that behavior is exactly aligned with what what you'd want uh, to take place in the case where people are using beanstalk as a as a reserve uh, or, or beans as a reserve asset per, perhaps or a store of value in that instance so and in particular uh, accruing stock during that period of time is also something that's attractive if you think uh, beanstalk as a protocol will will continue to function so yeah again this is all kind of presuming that the protocol works uh, and then people are comfortable with the volatility in the bean price uh, because they generally have confidence that it will continue to oscillate above and below its peg. But uh, assuming that's the case, it, it isn't unreasonable to expect Beanstalk to actually perform quite well if the, if the rest of the economy shrunk. Yeah. And I guess the point is, even if economies shrink, eventually you'd expect them to grow. Uh, in, in in the long in the long run or in the long term. A question from Alex says: Frax has been making waves lately with interesting de developments. Uh, I guess maybe he's talking about the base pool uh, that Breen mentioned earlier, which was uh, Frax Frax USDC, uh, I think. Uh, and and they said you know participants there are going to get some rewards. Uh, so what are your thoughts on that and on Frax in general? So I haven't spent too much time on Frax over the past couple of weeks. Uh, we did see that after Terra collapsed, uh, they, they indicated they were inclined to change to a credit-based model, which to us is very exciting. Uh, it's a recognition that partial collateralization doesn't work on chain. And the only way to, to do partial collateralization is, in fact, uh, not to have protocol-native collateral serve as the remaining piece, but to have credit, uh, outstanding obligations from other protocols. And so to that end, we've actually approached them to try to participate in the barn raise uh, at the protocol level as sort of a proof of concept that Frax can start backing some of their non-collateralized, USDC collateralized portion with debt uh, and Beanstalk debt in, debt in that case. There was a, a draft of a Frax Governance proposal dropped a, a couple of days ago in their forum. Hopefully, there will be a snapshot uh, actually for them to vote on in the not too distant future to maybe participate. But the concept is, you know, the only the only real issue that we see with Frax and it's hard to ignore is to use USDC. And so there is this kind of gun to their head at all times that makes it very difficult if decentralization is a priority to 
to, 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 to rely on fracks because they rely on USTC and you can't rely on USTC. So their move to a credit, to using debt uh, or, or, or exogenous debt uh, to, to back fracks, that's very cool. Uh, and we hope they start to lend to Beanstalk at the protocol level. But beyond that, you know, don't find it. With the USDC, the USDC gun to the head is, it's very hard to get past that. Question from Sync about using Aztec as a network tool uh, or an L2 uh, uh, solution. Uh, so Aztec, I think um, that was John Wu's uh, uh, project or uh, he mentioned that and, and, and the advantage of it is batching transactions, basically. So, yeah, we had a great Twitter spaces with John Wu. Uh, Aztec is really cool. We are big believers in the potential of zero-knowledge proofs and, in particular, their application on Ethereum. We also really like that Aztec is like zero knowledge first and it's kind of focused on uh building things out slowly but all zero knowledge and so the question would be more uh when when are they ready for beanstalk if you will uh but but in theory uh yeah aztec's very cool austin uh followed up on the idea of reducing uh the pod line um and you know um, I, I wanted to touch a bit on that. Wouldn't that be the same as austerity, where we're sacrificing growth, you know, uh, for for, for uh, reducing that? As uh, as long as we maintain a certain pod rate or a pod, why, why would we want to reduce our debt? Well, the short answer is Beanstalk. There's a couple different cases, right? And you make a good point, which is that Beanstalk really cares about its pod rate. So if, if the pod rate is below the minimum pod rate, the, wherever debt is considered excessively low, it, in theory, it would make sense for Beanstalk to offer debt up to, up to that minimum because uh, Beanstalk always wants to, to be at that minimum. Now, above that, there's a question of, when the price is above one and Beanstalk is minting beans, under the current parameters, the pod line doesn't change length. And so the pod rate can decrease, but the pod line stays fixed. Now, the, the, maybe I wasn't sufficiently articulate, but the, the suggestion is to have the pod line decrease in addition to the pod rate decreasing, such that the pod rate decreases faster in certain instances, but where we think it's more substantive is where you have a steady state where when the price is above one, the pod line decreases. And then when the price is below one, the pod rate increases again. And that's where you can have a more sustainable outstanding debt level uh, with a sustainable uh, or, a, or a stable supply of beans. Okay. Thank, thank you. And, and, and I, I like this uh, idea. So we're basically saying maintain the pod line at a specific pod rate. Uh, and when it's above that, reduce the pod line to accelerate uh, the pod rate reduction, basically. Okay, Austin has dreams about convert. I think, I think we reached to the end of the questions, unless I missed someone's uh, question. 
This was a fun class. Um, I, I enjoyed it. I mean, every class is. Okay, I think, I think this, is the, this is the end of the questions or the last of them, at least for this week. Uh, Publius, you know, thank you uh, for, for making class, for taking all the questions, I guess, and see you next week. Awesome. Thank and you, before that, Thank you. And once again, six days to go, June 6th, uh, the barn raises at uh, noon Eastern or 9 a.m. Pacific time. Thank you, everyone.